Well, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> we start in the section verse 17 and looking at verse 17 and 18 tonight. We've seen up to this, or the last section, verse 7 through, the exhortation concerning love, the explanation for love, the essence of love, the exp- expression of it, the example of it, and the evidence from it in the evangelism in love. That's what we looked at in from verse 7 to 16. And now we move on to the same broad outline for this chapter, the outworkings of love in our life, love in action. So here, John, we could say, continues to weave his tapestry of truth using love. He's t- stitching it all up, as they say. The dominant theme of the book and its thread is love. And he again points out the relationship between love for God and love for others, love for believers. And we look at, we'll only look at the first point, love and reckoning. The next one will be love and related persons. And the next one, love and redemption. So love and reckoning tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the truth on love and how you so loved us. You gave us your precious son whom we've just sung about and whom we'll dwell with for all eternity. Bless the word as it's shared tonight. Open our hearts to it and to the understanding of it. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Love and reckoning. Reckoning. When you think of reckoning, you think of, I've got to give an account. Well, we find in verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Reckoning. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And uh, so, so it's true. So we see under love and reckoning, the first point, the perfection of love. Herein is our love made perfect. How is our love made perfect? Because if it's not, then the rest of the verse is not very pleasant to read as far as Christians are concerned. Well, <clears throat> in, this, in this is the love perfected within us. It is God's love which permeates from him working through us that perfects our love for one another and for him. His love working us through the Spirit of God. The purpose and, or goal of God's love is fulfilled when Believers respond through the power of the Holy Spirit in love toward one another. Who's never been annoyed with another Christian? I say never been annoyed. You'd be lying if you put up your hand. So would I. <laughs> so it is true. You know, we get under each other's crawl or whatever you say. And uh, <clears throat> we can upset. But the practice of love... Through the power of the Spirit, the understanding of the Word, and practice makes you perfect. You say that to the children when they're learning the piano. Practice makes perfect. Reciting the table, the one to twelve times table makes perfect. I still don't forget it. Nines are a bit hard. Sometimes I have to stop and think. It's like a parrot. <clears throat> and in the Christian life, God knows that the exercising of our love makes us perfect and it's good to be perfect because we're going to stand before him that's what it's saying 
Uh, It says in the book of Romans 5, verse 3, and the verses around it, Tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, hope, and then it talks about the love of God being shed. I didn't look it up, but the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. So as we go on in our Christian life, love is perfected in us by the exercising of it. You know, when a, new, a person just becomes a Christian, they can, be, they can be sort of pretty intolerant toward other things because that's the way they're used to. That's the way we were as unsaved people. We're children of the devil. Now we're children of God. Well, we have to do what he does, love, in spite of the actions or reactions toward us. So the perfection of love. Then the purpose of love, verse 17, again, that we ha- may have boldness, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why is God doing this in our lives and getting us to be walking perfect in love? That when we see him, we can have boldness and, as other verses say, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So perfect results, the the perfected love results in boldness, in confidence and in freedom of speech. Like a child who has done his father's bidding and he comes to his father after he's done the job you know mowed the lawn or hung the washing or done the dishes and he can have he can have confidence to come before his his father if we as christians are doing what our father wants we can have boldness and confidence with the thought of being before him and i think you get the gist of what it's saying here back in chapter 2 and verse 28 the same word is used here, perfected, but it's not the word perfected, 2.28. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence, may have confidence or boldness before him and not be ashamed before him. I quoted it a minute ago, didn't I? And then in chapter 3 and verse 21, it says there, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence. Are you walking in love? Toward one another, through the love of God that he's given you, that you can have confidence that when he comes, all be well on the judgment day. I pray that we can and will have that. Verse 17 again speaks of the confidence we have in the day of judgment. What day of judgment? Is it the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20 that we'll face? No, it's not that judgment. That's after the millennium. Is it it the judgment on living Jews? Well, we're not a Jew. (laughs) So it's not that judgment. And that one's... I I reread it today. Ezekiel 20, verse 34 and 38. And uh, when he judged living Jews, it's interesting thought. That's Ezekiel 20, 34 to 38. That's after the tribulation. One's after the millennium, great white throne. Living Jews, after the tribulation... And um, what about, is it referring to judgment on living Gentiles? Because that's another judgment that's spoken of quite, quite a lot, Matthew 25. Is that the judgment we'll face? No. I was thinking today, and you know, you think when you read these things, will we be at any of those judgments? Not to be judged, but to be onlookers? Well, I think the one in... Matthew 25 we are because it talks about the Lord coming with all his saints 
in chapter 24, then 25, the judgment of living, living Gentiles after the tribulation, the sheep and the goats. And so we'll be, we'll be looking on. I believe at that time at least, I don't know about the great white throne. You, you might find a hint there. If Tell me if you do find that. Or on the, um, well, yeah, on the Jews, yes, because that's after the tribulation too. Same time as the judgment of the, the um, living Gentiles at that time. They're all mentioned in verses, not just little bits. Quite a bit, few verses given to that. All works of every believer will be made manifest in that day. Their work, works be, will be revealed and their labour rewarded. Now, I missed all those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I didn't look all those verses up because I want to get to the last part of verse 17 and 18. But in Matthew chapter 6, there it tells us, Take heed, you do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father. So, if we do it to be seen, you've lost the reward. That's what it says. Down in verse 4 of chapter 6, Thine arms may be in secret, and thy Father who seeth thee in secret will reward thee openly and the verse 6 but thou when thou prayest enter into the closet when thou hast shut the door pray to the father who is in secret and thy father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly so the day of reward we can have confidence in if we're doing the right thing in our life now walking in love toward one another perfecting love through the tribulations and trials of life and not becoming bitter but becoming better and again, it's used in verse 16 and again in verse 18. We won't look at those ones. So <clears throat> there we have the mentions of the judgment and the reward. Um, <clears throat> and I have mentioned before, what often comes to mind is Hebrews 13, 17 for judgment day. And at, for pastors, and they, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, the people have been under their account, you know, or under their shepherdship, you could say. 45, 46 years ago, I can't remember all who were here and coming and going. Brother Doug might, but I can't. But the Lord will jolt the memory. Ah, that person. And a young person says, you know, 10 years after they've not been, oh, I used to go to the, the church there at club. And, okay, what's your name? You know, Mm, okay, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> and uh, we, anyway, but the, we, we will have to give an answer for what they did right. And that's, <clears throat> that's um, what do you might say? This fear casts out love. So I have not, I'm not trying to, f not endeavouring to fear that a time of account, but it is in the word. <clears throat> the prospects of this judgment may be awesome. And John assures us, if we have a balanced love for God and the brethren, we need not fear this judgment. Perfect love casteth out fear, verse 18. Or is that the end of verse 17? That we can have boldness. We can step before the Lord on the Bema Seat judgment and have boldness. And that is the Bema Seat judgment mentioned twice in Scripture. Three times, yea, in 1 Corinthians 3, is elaborated on. And uh, 
We are complete in him. We've been accepted by him. We've been placed into the beloved so we can have confidence if we're doing what we should not be ashamed before him. How's it going? <laughs> the product of love is the third point. <clears throat> Perfection of love, the purpose of love that we may have boldness, and the product of love is no fear. Verse 18 of chapter 4 of 1 John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, perfect love, casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. Who read the, who read the daily devotion today? It was about that, yeah. wasn't it? Fear and faith. That's what it was about, comparing the two. I thought that went well with this. <laughs> write it down next to it. I do that I find a good good reading or something I write it in my Bible refer to such and such such and such date and I can always go back there and say you know the blessing from reading and understanding that <clears throat> so the product of love no fear and why is there no fear because we're walking in perfection with the Lord in love no fear the dread of facing an unknown danger or facing judgment. We've all faced unknown dangers, but maybe we haven't faced a judge yet. Um, some might have, and uh, don't sleep much the night before, the night before, or the night before, <laughs> because of what could be said. What is going to be the outcome? What are they going to ask me? Um, <clears throat> the believer no believer will be judged for his sin because all sins have been forgiven but he will be judged you know why have a judgment then why have it been a judgment if we've not been judged for our sin what does it say in first corinthians 3 we're going to be judged as to whether we receive rewards or not we looked at matthew 6 and there's many other portions but in first corinthians chapter 3 there it talks about the loss of reward, doesn't it? So there is the fear of that. If a Christian has lived for himself all through his life and has cared for nobody else and nothing else but themselves, there is fear. What am I going to face? What's going to, what is the Lord going to say to me of how I've spent my time and my talents and, and the opportunities? You know, I say, oh. You start thinking to yourself, oh, no. <laughs> but perfect love, if we've done that which God has bidden us to do through his Holy Spirit and the promptings of the word, then we can stand without fear and we can stand in boldness. As light reveals to the child that there is no danger in the dark, so love reveals to the believer that there is no punishment in the judgment. I thought that sums it up. Now, let's go back to verse 17 for a little bit. And just the last, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. As he is, very simple, as he is, so are we in this world. You just read it, pass over it. <clears throat> but there's an amazing statement, this is, as he is, so are we in this world. Couldn't be simpler than the way it's put. That's what God has in mind all along. As he is, so should we be now. 
in this world, in this world, not in the next world, in this world. The life that the Lord Jesus lives today is different from the life that he lived before the incarnation. You think of it. Before he became a man and was born in Bethlehem, it's different to how he lives now. Back then, he was eternal, uncreated. Now, I'm not saying that these aren't true now, but there's some added things. He was self-existence. He was the second person of the Godhead. He was the son of God. He was omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Is he still? Yes. <laughs> he was holy, undefiled, and a pure eyes than to behold iniquity. God bless forevermore. Amen. That's what the scriptures say. John does not say, as he was, so are we. Just looking at those little words. As he is. And there is a difference between that. He was, even in the days that he lived on earth, but he's not that now, is he? <laughs> we read the <coughs> that he learned in the scriptures obedience by the things that he suffered. And... He was subject unto them, his parents. He is a son of God <laughs> in, in doing this. That's what he was. He was obedient. <laughs> you know what? The Catholic Church still tries to make it that way. If you pray to Mary, he'll go to the son. And of course, the, the, the mother has great influence on the son. And so you pray to Mary and you'll get your answers in prayer. Hogwash. <laughs> Mary doesn't listen to our prayers nor does hear them. The Lord does. That's a lie. So, he was obedient. It is recorded of him that he was made perfect through suffering. He was made perfect through suffering. Before his incarnation, nobody ever hit him, nobody ever whipped him or scourged him, slapped him, mocked him, railed at him. Or nail him to the cross. The idea would be unthinkable. You know, this is what the Jews struggle at. How could Messiah be treated like that? If he is Messiah, he's king, he's Lord, he's omnipotent. He wouldn't allow that. But he did for our salvation. He has now become the merciful and faithful high priest. All these are references to scripture. It is recorded in, of him that he was tempted by Satan, wasn't he? Was then, and <laughs> never again. You know, if Satan could, he would go as far away from the Son of God because he's afraid of the Lord Jesus. He was tempted of Satan, but never again. Peter said that Jesus was a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. That is what he was. He was a miracle worker. He healed the sick and did all these things. <laughs> you might say miracle on demand, not quite. But those days are finished. He can do miracles if he wills, but not like he did when he was here and in the early church. <clears throat> so... Peter said that in Acts 2.22, a man approved of God among you by miracles and signs. That's where it's referred to. 
John passes over all that, though he knew the whole story well because he lived it with the Lord Jesus Christ. He passed over all those things when he's writing what we read in 1 John chapter 4. From what he was, and he could give a whole story. In fact, he wrote the Gospel of John 50 years after it happened. He had to get all that coming back. He had a good memory, didn't he? In writing all that, because the Spirit brought it to his remembrance. So he went over what he was and spoke of what he is for us. John says, in the first place, he is battle scarred. Is he not? John 20, 27. Reach here thy finger and behold my hand, said the Lord to Thomas. Reach here thy hand and thrust it into my side. Feel, see, touch where the spear went in. He has conquered the cross and the tomb, but the scars remain. You see, that's something different. He was, now he is scarred. Forever to remind us, hands, feet and side, that he died for our sins. We're in heaven because of him. He is the son of God, unique in three different ways. He is God. He is God's infinite son. He ever was and ever will be. Never was not. Psalm 2.12 and Psalm 9.6. Unto us a son is born. He is God's incarnate son. That he was not, but he became and he is God's incarnate son. The one who entered into time, born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Ghost as we think of at this time of the year. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And he is God's invisible Son. God's infinite, incarnate and invisible Son. <coughs> invincible, sorry. Invincible Son. The one of whom it is written concerning his Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. And all, he also is man. You know, he has a body. You know, he's seated in that body at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Philippians 2, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a man. So that's something he wasn't, was, he is now. And he is welcoming to all that come to him by faith. That's what he is doing now. He's calling out a people for his name. And it says in Isaiah 53, seeing the travail of his soul, he is satisfied. He sees the travail and the suffering, but he is satisfied with the result because he can see the sons that will be brought to him. And so he is bringing people unto himself, welcoming them into the family. What does he say? Come all ye that labour and are heavy laden. Um, <clears throat> John is thrilled to see him as he is. Remember in, John, in Revelation when John heard the voice? You see, he, John was used to what he was. He'd saw, seen him in the flesh. He'd touched him, he'd handled him. He heard him, he leaned on his breast. He ate with him. <laughs> but then when... He saw him as he is. Very different, very different reaction. What did he do? He fell down as dead. 
That's what it says. John couldn't believe who he was seeing, him as he is. So <clears throat> this amazing statement there, but also there's an astounding part. As he is, so are we. And there's an interesting times, always a battle. <laughs> as and so is something that's used in the New Testament. Listen to this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Um, <clears throat> John reminded, or the, in John, the Lord reminded his disciples, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Lord comes. <coughs> Peter wrote to the church, as he which called you is holy, so be ye holy. John says, as he is in this verse, so are we. <coughs> The great goal to which the Lord is moving all of us is that, isn't it? <laughs> the wondrous plan of salvation to be fulfilled and he will dwell with us. <clears throat> yes, the different life and person, not in, in the things we've mentioned, but not in personality, is the Lord Jesus from what he was to what he is now. God indwells us by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> He was given for us. There's a, a lot of skip over here. But come to a third thought can, in this is the amazing thought of the phrase. The astounding, th as he is, so are we. It's something else that's truly awesome found here. It doesn't say, as he is, so shall we be. Are we? What is, what's the difference there? Oh, when we get to heaven, we'll be like him. <laughs> no. Present tense. Present tense. This is an awesome thought. And Paul elaborated on this in Romans 8. And all this is given in the tense in the present time. Who his own self, or whom he did for know, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. It's all the verbs are in present tense. Present tense. As he is, so are we. <laughs> Try and think of that. <laughs> As he is now, so are we already. That behoves us to live like he's told us to in love toward one another. And if we're not doing that, we may not be saved. As he is, so are we in this world. Uh, <clears throat> the position and our standing. Sometimes there's a lot of difference between our state and our standing. Our standing is in him. It's as we were already there. It talks about that in Ephesians and Romans. But often our standing is not there. We're, we're thinking sinful thoughts. We're doing sinful things. And we're, I'm not going to make it to heaven. And we lose confidence 
in our Christian life because we lose confidence even in our salvation when we're not walking right and not walking in love and, and being directed by the Spirit through his word. And uh, <clears throat> our standing down here is not what it should be and not, a, not parallel with the state in which God has said we are. It's the Holy Spirit's work to make this statement as true regarding our state as our standing. God wants these to be the same. Our state and our standing. Our state is we're already with him in glory. Our standing should be likewise. So that next time we are tempted to sin, can't do that. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I'm as it were seated in heaven with the Lord Jesus already. As he is, so we are we in this world. Think about it. Memorise that, that last part of those verses there. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the Lord. The Lord's about the, in the process of changing us to be like him fighting against the experiences you have in life only makes you bitter and not better and you're not walking or standing as you should be as your state is before the Lord. I know that was full on and fast, but I pray that you look over those verses, think about them in the days.